0: Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today I'm drinking a pina colada. What do you have, Del?
1: I am drinking a glass of red wine, and on this week's episode, we're going to be looking at the bizarre circumstances surrounding the death of actor Bob Crane. The seemingly unsolved murder exposed the dark secret of a beloved actor and revealed that things aren't always as they seem on the outside. Before we get into the events surrounding his death, let's look at his life and career. Bob Crane was born Robert Edward Crane on July 13, 1928, in Waterbury, Connecticut, Rose and Thomas Crane. He was the youngest of three sons and had the typical American upbringing. Bob married his high school sweetheart, Anne Pizarin in 1949, and together they had three children. Bob's career started in radio broadcasting, where he hosted a morning show that combined his earlier interest in music with a slew of interesting guests, including Marilyn Monroe, Frank Sinatra, and Bob Hope. He always had ambitions to start acting and landed a guest-hosting spot where he filled in for Johnny Carson on his game show, Who Do You Trust? This led to roles on The Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and Electric Theater. Bob would eventually land a guest spot on The Donna Reed Show, and his success on the show led to him becoming a regular cast member. Bob Crane's breakout hit would come in 1965 with the premiere of Hogan's Heroes. The show was set during World War II and saw Bob's character leading a group of men within a POW camp through missions in support of of the allied cause. The show also led to changes within Bob's personal life when he started an affair with his co-star Cynthia Lynn. He then went on to divorce Anne and marry another co-star Patricia Olsen and together they had two children. Family few host Richard Dawson served as his best man during the nuptials. Hogan's Heroes was canceled in 1971 and Bob went on to star in several movies and a short-lived show. While his professional career was taken off, Bob met John Carpenter, who worked at Sony Electronics as a video equipment specialist. What many people didn't know at the time was that Bob had a habit of filming and photographing himself engaged in sexual activities. The two men began a friendship, and they started videotaping joint sexual encounters. Bob's celebrity status helped attract women, and he frequently introduced John as his manager. After his death, Bob's son insisted that all the women knew, but some of the women dispute this. When John was promoted to regional sales manager at Sony, he would arrange his business trip to coincide with Bob's touring schedule so that they could continue to film themselves engaged in sexual activities with women across the country.
0: On June 28, 1978, Bob Crane's co-star Victoria Berry showed up at Bob's home at Winfield Apartments when he failed to show up for work. There, she discovered his body, which had been bludgeoned, and he had an electronics wire wrapped around his neck. The murder weapon has never been concretely identified, but it is believed to be a camera tripod. The investigation into his murder was faulty from the start. The Scottsdale Police Department had no homicide division, and the detectives were not adequately equipped to handle murder cases, especially ones with a high profile. Although the crime scene yielded few clues, the detectives did note that there was no forced entry that would lead lead them to believe that Bob knowingly led whoever his killer was into the apartment indicating a level of trust. Detectives went through Bob's videotape collection and identified John Carpenter in several of the tapes. John's car was impounded and blood smears were found on the seat that matched Bob's blood type, but police were not able to get a DNA match as the technology was not yet available. They were also able to determine that no one else with that blood type was in John's car. Since there was little in the way of evidence, the Maricopa County District Attorney's Office declined to press charges against John Carpenter for the murder of Bob cream. In 1990, Scottsdale Police Officer Barry Vassell re-examined the evidence from 1978. DNA testing on the blood proved to be inconclusive. There was a photograph which appeared to show brain tissue, but the actual tissue samples that were recovered from the car were lost. An Arizona judge determined there was enough evidence to move forward, and in June of 1992, John Carpenter was arrested and charged with Bob's murder. His trial was held in 1994, and evidence was presented from Bob's son, Robert that Bob was to end his friendship with John. Robert testified that Crane had called Carpenter the night before the murder and ended their friendship. He said that Carpenter had become, quote, a hanger on and a, quote, unquote, nuisance to the point of being obnoxious. Robert continued stating, quote, my dad expressed that he just didn't need Carpenter kind of hanging around
1: him anymore, end quote. Carpenter's attorneys dismissed the prosecution's theories and dismissed the evidence as circumstantial and They stated that the only reason why a camera tripod was alleged to be the murder weapon was to make a connection with John's profession. They criticized the police work as sloppy and focused on the mishandling and misplacing of crucial evidence, including the alleged brain tissue sample. One of the strongest pieces of evidence the defense presented was that Bob and John were on good terms right before the murder. They had witnesses that testified that Bob and John had dinner the evening before the murder. The defense presented alternative suspects, including the women who had been filmed and an actor who had threatened Bob right before his murder. His wife, Patricia Olson, was also thought to be a suspect by Bob's son, Robert. But this might have been over a money dispute because Bob's estate had been left entirely to Olson. Carpenter was acquitted in 1997 and maintained his innocence until his death in 1998. Bob Crane's murder is still officially unsolved, but the lead detectives believe that John Carpenter is the murderer and no other suspects have ever been charged in connection to Bob Crane's death. Jenny, what are your thoughts on the murder of Bob Crane and do you believe that John Carpenter is guilty?
0: This is one of those cases or like Hollywood stories, Del, where I think we've talked about this before. Like we've seen this on like craziest Hollywood moments on like the E! Entertainment channel or like VH1 or something. I definitely remember hearing about this when I was younger, but I didn't really know who Bob Crane was. I've never seen Hogan's Heroes, but I know my grandparents were fans of it. It's really sad. You know, Know, despite what Bob Crane enjoyed in his life and what he got into he did not deserve to die and in a very brutal way you can see like crime scene photos and video of it and he was very like badly bludgeoned I do think it was Carpenter to me no one else makes sense he was I think the last person seen with Crane why else would his blood be in Carpenter's car and potentially tissue there is a motive if Robert Bob Crane's son is right that Crane was trying to get away from this lifestyle and that he wanted to get rid of Carpenter too. I've also seen some other things that Carpenter kind of like implicated himself in a way. He was supposed to, I guess, be taken to the airport by Bob Crane the morning, I believe, after the murder. And he, I don't think, was like really calling around. He just automatically got a taxi to the airport. But I had also heard that John Carpenter was calling the crime scene and police answered and he He'd never even asked why are the police there and it's probably because he knew why the police were there so I think he's pretty suspicious and I think he got away with it I will say I don't think there is a lot of like hard evidence other than that blood in his car and the police did screw this up and it's just really frustrating when that happens when there is like a clear suspect and there is evidence but the way you know the investigation went down or the way in evidence was handled makes it too difficult to prosecute. is really frustrating. What do you think?
1: I definitely agree with you. This was one of the first Hollywood type true crime cases that I really got into and, you know, devoted some time to research. And I definitely do think that John Carpenter is guilty. I think that, like you said, this is one of those cases where if the police had done their job, then the evidence would have been preserved in a way where even if the technology was not available right then, later on, there would have been some ability to prove that John Carpenter was guilty. I think that when you look at the fact that you had blood samples, you had tissue, you had all of this evidence, and it was just misplaced. Like, how do you misplace evidence in a murder? And how do you have a city that does not have a homicide division? It's not like it was a place that had zero homicides, So why wouldn't you make sure that your police department was equipped to handle this type of crime, whether it was high profile or not? I think that the police would have definitely been helped if they brought in some outside investigators, maybe the FBI or some type of agency like that to assist them in the beginning. And then maybe we wouldn't have had the pitfalls that we've seen in this case. And essentially, a high chance of someone getting away with murder. It's always really weird to me when a case like this is classified as unsolved when we We know who did it, we just can't prove it. It's kind of frustrating, and there's been several cases like that. Whether it was John Carpenter, a woman who was filmed, or his wife, many have connected Bob Crane's death to his homemade sex tape. Many have speculated that the trappings of fame led Bob Crane down a path of sex addiction, fetishism, and a double life that no one would have suspected from the clean-cut, likable Hollywood star. Many people have a separation between their public and private life. This is a normal phenomenon that often does not indicate anything nefarious. However, many times people, especially celebrities, are led into double lives that are destructive and will cause major consequences if exposed to the public. Celebrities often have very polished images and when their double lives are exposed even in death, many are unable to balance the enjoyment from their work and their perspective of that celebrity with the torrid details of their private lives. Double lives that include sex, drugs, or criminal activity often draw the most ire from the public. Jenny, what are your thoughts on the double lives that celebrities often lead?
0: I think you really hit the nail on the head because it does seem like it's hard for some people to differentiate between an actor and maybe like a well-known character that they've played and it is really sad. We've kind of talked about feeling bad for celebrities in the past on this podcast. I do feel bad. I think people really get trapped and boxed in. They can't really lead a full and fulfilling life because they have to worry about what other people are thinking of them and what's good for their brand. I don't think the public fully understand the PR that goes into a celebrity's image very little is genuine. I mean, people can be posting things on social media, but that's really what they just want us to see. That's not necessarily the real life that they're living. And, you know, like, we're not privy to all of that information just because they are a public figure. You know, Bob Crane could do what he wanted within his sex life as long as it was with consenting adults, which it doesn't seem like it always was. But, you know, you have rights to do what you want in your life and just because you're an actor telling people, you know, I'm this, I'm that, shouldn't be able to stop you from doing, you know, what makes you happy. But yeah, the image that gets presented to the public is very crafted and well thought out. It's to, you know, make money essentially to sell tickets, whether it's to a movie, to a concert ticket, get people to watch your show, anything like that. That's where I think things like bearding come into play. I don't know if we've talked about that on the podcast before, but when a celebrity is covering up their sexuality and they enter into a PR relationship for to help hide that or to help promote a movie, that does exist. That's not... Not something that just stopped in like the golden age of Hollywood that goes on today, still. I think that there's a lot of like functional addict out in Hollywood too. people spinning stories to make them into something more positive. So something that came to mind for me with that is Selena Gomez, she was performing and on the red carpet, she was like tripping and like losing her balance. And then she gave like a really weird performance. And if you read some of the gossip behind that people say it was because she was high. But then her PR team commented and was like, Oh, no, she was just really nervous. You know, this is like a first big performance, like since her breakup, and she was just really scared to be be there and she's anxious. So, you know, what is the truth in that? Does it lie somewhere in the middle? possibly. And kind of going off of addiction too, when you're a celebrity and you're high status, anything you want, women, men, drugs, alcohol, anything you can think of is at your fingertips and tons of people will be around you getting it for you and not questioning anything. And not having like your health a priority, which I think is very frightening and again, I think that's something that the average person doesn't really understand. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that It's definitely sad because when you look at a normal person and the, you know, the double lives that they could lead, it's typically something very mundane, as in if you have a professional job, you won't use profanity, but you likely use profanity in your private life. But when it comes to celebrities, they have to push down so much of their authentic selves in order to be able to sell themselves as a product. And I think that's really tied to the moral outrage that people create when celebrities do not fit into a perfect cookie cutter image. So, you have to be this upstanding family man who's only been with one woman, you don't do drugs, you don't drink um, except in a very small amount during a social gathering. You have a lot of cases where when people are not able to reconcile their public celebrity image with what they're dealing with as a private person. Celebrities are often able to lead double lives due to the money and attention that comes from being well known. One of the reasons John Carpenter was said to be fond of Bob Crane was Crane's ability to convince women to engage in the film's sexual escapades. Jenny, what do you think of the whole celebrity seem to have over the general public?
0: I think as a whole, it's pretty strange, but we're all guilty of it. We've all, you know, had an affinity for a celebrity. We want to support them. We want to see the good and maybe ignore some of the bad things that they've done. I think we've probably all, like, defended a celebrity for something maybe problematic that they've said, done. I think some people take things way too far. Something that comes to mind is, I feel like in like the 2010s and even now, how many fans did we see sending death threats to like other celebrities and other fans? I know that Beyonce's fans get a pretty bad rap. I think she's very talented, but I know that her fans have sent death threats to people like for example, Rachel Ray, because they thought she was Becky with the good hair and they got her confused with. With Rachel Roy, a designer who was also accused of being Becky with a good hair that had an affair with Jay-Z. So that's like taking things way too far. I think people also leave like bad ratings for movies and music and stuff because they don't like the people involved. Social media has definitely made things worse. Either people, you know, being way too into a celebrity or people being such a celebrity hater. I don't think either is really good. And then social media, I think, has also made people feel way more connected. to celebrities than they ever have and I think we've mentioned that before too. Going back to Bob Crane being able to convince women to engage in sex with him, I guess that is also a hold over the public. I think women get accused of just liking rich, powerful people but it is kind of exciting if a rich, powerful person is going to take an interest in you some way. Why not live a little and have sex with him if you are interested? So I think it is like I said, exciting to make be in this world I feel like you have a deeper knowledge of this celebrity but as a whole i think i'm like a little unsettled by it especially as i get older what do you think
1: yeah i think that in a lot of ways being a fan of a celebrity or a hater of, of a celebrity has become like a team sport where people draw their battle lines and they are ready to do anything to defend or offend um based on their personal personal preferences. And I think it just goes back to the hold and the amount of time that people put into enjoying their favorite celebrity.
0: That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the death of Bob Crane, and if you think John Carpenter got away with murder. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on the bling ring. As always, stay safe.